So my wife and I, uh, a while back, um, when our daughter, my eldest daughter was very young, we went out on a hot date when we were in Southern California, and uh, we had the experience that every parent dreads on a date like this. We'd arranged for the babysitter, and we'd had a nice dinner together, and we were about 45 minutes into a movie when we got the dreaded phone call that I saw on the color, caller ID that it was from the babysitter. And so I snuck around the corner and picked open the flip phone because it was that long ago. And you could hear the screams from my daughter, just shrieking. And the babysitter could hardly get the words out. But she said that, that Karis had gotten her legs stuck in the playground set. And it was, it was just, she said, come, come quick. And so I almost forgot to go back and get Allie because she was still watching the movie. And um, I will be honest that I may not have obeyed all of the street laws, the traffic laws in the state of California on the trip there. In fact, you know, we didn't stop to see if we could get a refund for the ticket. Uh, you're picturing this, right? It wasn't quite the white SUV with all the police cars behind it, but we're making the passes on the side and the berm and made it home in record time. And and, and I knew this was a, a playground that had been left by the previous owners, one of those old aluminum ones. Some of you know what we're talking about here. But I was thinking about my arsenal of tools that I had in my garage. Like, how was I going to cut my daughter free? Because at this moment, I don't care about the playground, right? Like, we're going to get her out. And it took a few seconds. We, we got her out. She stopped crying. She was totally fine, but just so scared. And this, this morning, we're on the beginning of a series that we're calling Unstoppable. It's through the book of Acts. And that, that same momentum, I love this image of the wave, that, that same momentum that I had as a father, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to launch his church in such a way that there's nothing that's going to get in the way of what God's going to do through this church. You remember the first time that you went to the ocean and you, you feel the first waves, and then you kind of get out there, and you think, I can stand up against, and then you get knocked on your back, right? Like, the, there's something that's going to happen. That gonna, we're going to see together as we study the chapters of the book of Acts. We're going to go verse by verse through this, and we're just going to see the mighty handiwork of God. And there's, there's a part of it that's just amazing, because you stand back and you say, God is on the move. In fact, we call it the book of Acts partially because of the fact that it is full of action. There's movement that's happening and God's on the move and, and he continues his story that's going to be lived out by the church that you and I are the remnants of that are part of that initial spark that happened so many thousands of years ago. And I love this phrase. This morning, this message is going to focus in on the fact that you and I have the privilege of being a part of that, that we've been invited to join in. We'll, we'll talk a bit about what it means to give our testimony, our story declaring what it means to have been impacted by God. And there's this statement in Acts 1.8 that says, you will and it goes on to summarize what God's going to do in and through this church from the very beginning. This morning, we're going to focus in on what it means for us to be so moved by God that we do the inevitable thing, and that is that we join in what God's doing. I feel personally like that's one of the greatest privileges of my life. And that I accept that, that the book of Acts, as I study it, is all about action. 
It's about the action of God and that I get to join in what God's doing. So we see the book of Acts as being this, this thrusting into what God wants to do to bring himself glory and honor in a, in a dark time in the history of the world and that we get to see that we get to join in what he's doing. Some of you know that the book of Acts is actually the second part written by the same author, Luke, who inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote from the perspective of a physician that he has this understanding of detail. So the book of Acts could be called Luke part two, but it's really this understanding of this recording. It says it in the text in Acts one, verse one, it says this, it says, in the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Then what we're gonna get to see is what God continued to do through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's going to continue to do through the work and manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit. This, this phrase, O Theopolis, is fantastic. It could have been to a, a dude named Theopolis. He may have existed, we don't know. But the word Theopolis in Greek, it means lover of God. And so we stand back and we say, if you're a Christ follower, this message is for you. And what this message is a message of inevitability, that you are going to join in what God is doing, to join in the chorus of those who are bringing praise and glory and honor to him, to engage in what God is choosing to do. So here he ties us to the book of Luke, and I want to encourage you, study the book of Luke. It's, it's awesome to see what God did through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the disciples and what ended up happening. But now we're post the cross and we're post the resurrection, and now we're going to study together these these about 30 years, about from AD 33 to AD 62, that were this, this time period where the, the church is being formed, and, and they don't mess around when the early church was being formed. It, we're going to get some numbers uh, even today. We're going to hear about the size of the church, and next week we'll see this, and it says literally that the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. I, I love the way it says this in verse 2. It says, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Some people misunderstand the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, like the Lord Jesus Christ, was not created, but the Holy Spirit was there at, uh, always was. So in, in the beginning was the word, his description of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit has always been. And the Holy Spirit was at work. King David in Psalm in Psalm 61, he says that, he makes this statement about how, he Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And the Holy Spirit functioned in a way, even here in this verse, we see that the Holy Spirit's working before this tremendous day of Pentecost. And what we see is the Holy Spirit still at work to bring glory and honor to the Lord. And so he had warned them, he had encouraged them, he had challenged them that this day was coming. But you know what's awesome about the book of Acts as well, when you talk about it being a book of action, is that there's just nothing that the deceiver could do to get in the way of this action. Now, I, I like to imagine for a second that, that Satan is sitting with some of his dece de demons, and, and if they were, they were deciding, you know, kind of dry erase board, um, I, I would guess it'd probably be in like a gas station bathroom, because like that sounds like where Satan would have a, dr you know, a meeting together, right? <laughs> But, but picture the dry erase board and they're, they're brainstorming. All right, how are we going to 
stop this movement of the church. The, the way, the people, like how are we gonna stop what God's doing? So, so I can just imagine them, them coming up with their list, right? They're gonna write this down and it's gonna be in red ink because it's Satan, right? So they, the, can you imagine the, the first thing that they'd say, let's, let's kill the founder. Now, now, how did that work for them? That the Lord Jesus raises from the dead just three days afterwards. Okay, I got an idea. See somebody raise their hand. How about we arrest the followers? Do you, do you know that in the book of Acts, there's going to be multiple times when literally prisons are broken open? That those who are chained to the apostles are going to end up becoming believers themselves. Isn't that phenomenal? Oh, okay, I've got an idea. Let's, let's murder the disciples. And we know the story of Stephen, one of the first recorded martyrs. That the man who was looking on, that, that Saul as he's looking on as a tool of the deceiver is ultimately going to become the man who we know as the apostle Paul. The, the one who is condoning is going to convert to a point where he is able to declare the praises of God. We keep going through the lesson. How about we, we starve them? Well, God gives them this vision, this prophecy that reminds, that lets them know that a famine's coming and, and they share amongst one another and they survive a famine. You can think of him saying, well, how about we stone them? The apostle Paul walks out of a time where he's being physically stoned. We can keep going. How about we, we falsely accuse them? Well, we know that ultimately it's like, it was like taking water and throwing it on a, a fire that uh, there was a, an oil fire that it just spreads out, right? You can keep going through the list. How about we banish them? They just came back. How about, no, this one's interesting. Of all of the schemes of the deceiver, the one that was probably the most effective uh, was that there was a time where they decided, hey, there's all these religious people around us and they're being honored for selling their possessions and giving them to the Lord. So Ananias and Sapphira, the story is that they, they wanted to capture that. And there's a great temptation and it ended up God dealing with it in a really blunt, direct way. Didn't work. And then finally think, well, how about we discredit their founder? And today, in the verses that we'll look at together, what we see is that the Lord Jesus, through his, after the resurrection, ends up proving who he was, that he, was a, he had a bodily resurrection, that he was still alive and active. And so, so after each of these, you kind of draw the line through it, and you're like, it didn't work, right? It didn't work. It was, it was unstoppable, the launch of the early church. There was nothing that they could do. And this was an unstoppable movement of God. One of my favorite descriptions of what happened there as the gospel spreads through the time period of the book of Acts to almost 1,400 miles away, that in the book of Philippians, it says that the gospel was even being whispered in the kitchens of Caesar. <laughs> it just worked, right? It just grew. It, the Lord added daily to those who were being saved what I love is that this book of Acts is this, this motivating truth that's intertwined with the historical narrative of the birth of the early church. And so we're going to glean from it. We're going to find times where we're challenged by it. I hope today you're affirmed, but also provoked to action. The earliest apostles, literally called sent ones, were those who had been with the Lord Jesus Christ, that they, they were a part of the foundation of this early church, and ultimately the Lord would end up using people like you and I that were a result of the ripple effect of individuals who've chosen to embrace 
and understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second point that flows out of the text, and we'll be going through this mostly verse by verse, is that we truly are better together. If you joined us last week at our um, missions dinner, one of the things that was so fun for me as I was stuffing my plate full of great things, I even ate some people's sauerkraut, which tells you how much I love you. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, you just in the room, it was just, just joy-filled. People were celebrating just being in community. It was, it was a time to be together. And in the days of the early church, especially after the, the time when the Lord ends up transitioning back to heaven, what we're told in Acts chapter 1, picking up in verse 3, is that, that there was a vision that God had for his people to remain together. It says this in verse 3. It says, he presented himself alive to them, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is the only time in scripture that we know that that time period was 40 days. We, we know some of the encounters, Jesus with Mary Magdalene, Jesus with three women, Jesus with the disciples, Jesus with Thomas, who wanted to, to physically touch the Lord Jesus. He, wanted to, he shared meals together with, with individuals. We're told that there are 500 plus individuals that interacted with the Lord Jesus Christ in these 40 days. This is profound. He, he validated one of the accusations that came early on, and that was that Jesus was dead and stuck in a tomb. But the bodily resurrection took place. Part of the, the cross behind us is, is reminding us as we're gearing up for Easter here in about a month or so, that, that we're just reminded that, that he not only lives, that he raised from the dead and that he, his resurrection gives us hope of our own resurrection. So here we see that they go through this time period where they, they see the physical resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. In verse four, it says this, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It would ultimately be 10 days from that moment. And I've always wrestled with the time period. Well, why, why couldn't Pentecost just happen right now? And as I studied it this week, I, I do believe that the Lord has some reason for waiting sometimes for us. And some of us are stuck in this room in a waiting time period in our life where we're waiting for the Lord to provide a promise just because it hasn't been fulfilled doesn't mean that he's not going to follow through with his promise, right? Uh, for some of us, we're seeking healing in our lives. And, and he may not heal us in our physical lifetime, but he will fulfill his promise in eternity when he gives us the pleasure of being restored in a body for those of us who are Christ followers that's completely healed. But for, for others of us, we read these words and we look at this and we say, well, why would he have us wait? Some of us uh, don't have to wait much in our lives anymore. With Amazon Prime, uh, you might not have experienced what... Uh, Allie and I had one time, we were near in California, distribution center, where we ordered something and it was within 24 hours that the thing was delivered to our home. It was amazing. But I can remember as a kid, a, a G.I. Joe figurine that I had that... Uh, was ordered and it took over a month, but I checked that mailbox out every single day, right? And I was just anticipating what I was going to receive. I still have that thing in my attic right now. I don't sneak up there and play with it too often, but, but um, there's another reason. This was really profound for me studying this, is that I, I believe geographically he wanted to keep God's people together 
He wanted to, um, them to be there to be eyewitnesses of the Holy Spirit and the, the physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But I also believe that he wanted them to be together. That there was something inherently beautiful about the church remaining together, even when their natural tendency would be to want to disperse. And I think there's, there's an inherent reminder to us as a church that it's important that we connect together. We need to be together. And here we see that he said, stick around, stay together. They spend 10 days together. And they, they anticipate this baptism of the Spirit. And it's going to be beautiful as we study the work and role of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is something that's promised to every believer at the point of regeneration or becoming a Christ follower. But this, this phrase in Scripture that says we have the privilege of walking in the Spirit that biblically, that phrase, whenever we see it in Scripture, it means that we can choose to walk in what God has provided for us. We can choose to live in the fullness of the Spirit by rejecting sin in our lives, by making that space in our life for the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here he promises them the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism always connected biblically to associating with someone. It's associating with the Lord Jesus Christ, the work that he did on the cross, and the provision of the Holy Spirit and God in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful image. So here, this waiting wasn't a bad thing, but waiting together was extremely important. I love the way one of my seminary profs used to, to describe what happened here, that this indwelling of the Holy Spirit was going to change everything for them. He says, the key to the apostles' successful fulfillment of Jesus's commission was their baptism with and consequent filling by and dwelling by the Holy Spirit. Without this divine enablement, they would only have been able to follow Jesus' example. But with it, Jesus could literally continue to do his acts and teach his words through them. In other words, and, and this is where a lot of us live. In other words, it wasn't just try harder, you got this, knuckle down, you can, you can get through this. But instead, it's that God literally is going to work in and through us. The Lord Jesus described this in the book of John chapter 16 in a way that might surprise some of you. Can you imagine for a minute how awesome it would have been to be in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's plucking coins out of fish's mouths, that he's doing these miracles. It just would have been awesome, right? And while they're with the Lord Jesus, he says to them, I'm going to leave and it's going to be an upgrade for you. This passage in John 16 tells us something about the work of the Holy Spirit and that, that the Lord Jesus predicted that this day of Pentecost was going to come. He says this in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He declared that there would be a day when the Holy Spirit, in the works that he would accomplish through the multitude of believers, would be greater than the very works that the Lord Jesus did when he walked the earth. I love that in, in this passage of Acts, it's going to talk about something that, that we don't talk about much today, and that is that we get the privilege of witnessing 
of what Christ had done on our behalf. I like the way that this graphic puts it. It's it, a witness is a person who really says, this is my story. So when I tell you the story about Karis and the, uh, you know, driving to set her free, I'm not telling a story that is uh, unique or, or it's not one that we made. It's just, it's just our story. We're just describing what happened to us. And a witness does that, right? That they just say what their experience was. This last week, I had the privilege of sharing my testimony with someone. And in that process, I didn't necessarily have the most clever of, of ways of presenting the gospel. It wasn't perfect. It was just truth. It was just, here's my story. Here's what happened in my life. And, and it is his history as it's played out in our life. But it's also just us being willing to declare, hey, this is what happened. This is what the incident that it took place and here's where I was and here what, here's what happened. That's what it means to be a witness. And we have that privilege to join in that. I like the way that it's described beginning in verse six. It says this, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They were asking if Jesus was now going to reign on earth, that he was gonna reestablish his earthly reign. And, it, and he says this, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That's actually a statement to each one of us, that we believe in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he could come at any time. And, and his message to them was a message to you and I, that we can anticipate the return of the king. But he also then goes on to say this in verse 8, and this is the summary statement to the entire book of Acts. He says, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's, it's a guarantee. You can take that to the bank. This is what's going to happen. You will. I, I love in our household right now, we, um, we have been, uh, we have a, a 15 and three quarters year old. So we're going through the process of seeing her learn how to drive. Now, uh, some of you may that have driven like me for many, many years, you, you might drive to a place and afterwards you think, like, I didn't even think about driving. That until, like, how did I end up here? I hope I didn't run into anybody. You know, you're just like, you do it so naturally, right? But for her, because she's learning how to drive, every curb matters, right? Every, every red or green light that turns yellow, it's, it's, it's magnified by the fact that she's not sure how to handle it because it's all so new to her, right? And, and I'm, I'm confident that there's going to be a day when she has the experience that she's not going to stress over it as much. In fact, we went to church parking lot the other day and we were driving around and she's, you know, like, I don't know, is it, you're not supposed to be 10 and 2 anymore? I don't know. They've changed it at all, but she's super white knuckled. She's taking it all seriously. And, and she's like, dad, shouldn't you like being freaked? be freaked out right now? And, and I was like, oh, honey, I'm pretty convinced you're already a better driver than I am, you know? But, but she, she's just learning, right? But what we know with, with time is that this is going to happen. And with that same kind of certainty, God is saying, like, this is going to happen. This is happening. And so Christ follower, with you and I hearing this story that we will be his witnesses, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is are we a part of that? And for believers, he's saying, you will be my witnesses. And so for some of us in our lives, we may have chosen to just say, you know what, this isn't, this isn't the right time. This isn't my story. This is somebody else's responsibility. That we've, we've attempted to abdicate something that 
really, he's saying, if you are a Christ follower, you will do this thing. This is our privilege. But for some of us, we stand back and we wonder about this. I love the way that that H. Griffith, W. H. Griffith Thomas puts it. Sorry, it's hard to read on your screen, but um, this is this is profound. He says they were now called to be witnesses, and their definite work was to bear testimony to their master. They were not to be theologians or philosophers or leaders, but witnesses. Whatever else they might become, everything was to be subordinate to the idea of personal testimony. It was to call attention to what they knew of him and to deliver his message to mankind. This special class of people, namely disciples, who are also witnesses, is therefore very prominent in the book. Page after page is occupied by their testimony. And the key to this feature is found in the words of Peter, we cannot speak of the, but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. In the lectures that he gave at the seminary that I attended, he was often known to be a professor that challenged people to preach God's word. And later in this quote, he goes on to say, like, in the book of Acts, preaching actually comes under the, the role and effectiveness of testimony that people are just sharing their story. And what happens is that God adds to their number daily those who are being saved. For some of us, this just feels like one of those times where it's like, yeah, we'll get to that. We're going we're gonna to wait. It'll happen someday. Someday this will work out. But I love the way that it's described in the text here. And that literally, a, a Greek word, we don't do that much talking about Greek words here. But this, this statement in the text that says that they, they're asked, like, what are you waiting for? Is the Greek word hesitake, which is uh, the root of a word that we get our word hesitate from. And he's going to say this statement to them. He says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. This is literally the Shekinah glory of God. It's, it's enveloping Jesus up into the very, the very heavens of the earth, to the throne room of God. And it says, while they were gazing into the heaven... And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood beside them in white robes. And they said, kind of the understatement of the year, they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? <laughs> well, duh, right? This just, this just happened in front of us. And then they go on to say, this Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This description of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the description of his return was beautiful. But it also counterintuitively challenges us to say in that text, he's saying, why are you hesitating? The, The book of Acts is about action. And even while they're waiting together for Pentecost, he's saying it's time to to get get going on your mission. It's time to to get involved. For some of you in this room, you hear this message, and, and for you. I think most importantly that you yourself have to ask, what am I doing with this Jesus in my life? Regardless of your age, is, is his story my story? Have I chosen to make him the most important thing about my life? And if not, you don't have a testimony at this point and you need one. This is your privilege to consider what it means to have a personal and real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but beyond that, the, the, the message of the angels here is it's time to act. Let's go. We got stuff to do. Let's do it. And I, I love these three application points as we, we consider what it means for us to 
be a part of what God's doing, to, to be an active part of this. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The first is both a challenge and a warning. It is inevitable that Christ followers will bear the message of hope. And, and so we, we accept that that's what it means to be a Christ follower, that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And for some of us in this room, we actually function in a way that we're ashamed of the gospel, that we're, we're afraid to declare this. This is a, a story that we assume is someone else's story. I just want to challenge you. Today's a great day for you to consider this for yourself. And if you're ashamed of the gospel in your workplaces, in school, in the settings that God has you, then it's something that I think it contains a warning to it. This is what it means for us to be Christ followers. We will. The second application point this morning is that we are not necessarily called to be the most profound witnesses of the gospel. We don't have to be clever necessarily with how we present the truth, but we ought to just be people who are willing to witness what God's done in other words, we just describe it. We're, we're telling others the most important thing about us. It should be a natural outflowing of our story as we share it to others, that we share this. And then finally, I want to remind you, shared it in my weekly newsletter this last week, that, that this, this message of the gospel requires more than just our actions. I think evangelism in our day and age, we've, we've grown up hearing the story of uh, the, the words attributed to St. Francis Assisi when it says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And for some of us, that's actually become a crutch for us where we say, oh, I'm living out my faith. And so I'm sure that, that if people wanted to know the gospel, they'd ask me about it. But what we know later in the book of Acts is that it says salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It requires a description of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So words are necessary. And I, I want to close with this, um, this story. It was a, a sad story, but it had a great ending. Uh, but it was a friend of ours in seminary that um, he, was a, he was training to be a pastor, but he opened up in a small group setting with us that his family had moved to a foreign mission field. Uh, he, he was born in America and then moved to another country to, for his dad to be a missionary, his parents to be missionaries. And in his life story, when he was sharing this, he said it was devastating for him because uh, he never talked to his dad about this, but it was devastating for him because uh, all of these years when they were making these trips back and forth from this country and it was awkward for him, didn't really have a home that felt, he felt comfortable in, he said, I never heard my father ever share the gospel with anyone. And it, it strikes me that he, he says, I've, I spent my lifetime growing up being in a context where we'd, we'd forsaken everything for the sake of the gospel, but I never really heard the gospel ever shared by my father. Now, it might sound like a judgy statement. Uh, my friend is actually a wonderful pastor at a church in Texas. Uh, this wasn't definitive in his life, but it's, it strikes me as something that's very convicting for me today. And that is, I can, I can say I'm a minister of the gospel and yet never be someone who's willing to be generous with sharing the gospel. I don't know what your story is. I, I want to challenge you that um, this is not a guilt trip. This is actually just a huge privilege. It's a huge privilege for us to be able to say, he did this in my life, and I want to bear witness to this because I believe that this may be the most important thing that you've ever heard in your life. So this week, I want to challenge you. Even today, I want to challenge you that there may be someone, the Holy Spirit does prompt us in our lives to, 
to say, yeah, you need to make that phone call. Yeah, you need to speak to that person. Yeah, it's time for you to have that conversation. And I want to encourage you to have the boldness and the confidence to be able to say, yeah, you're right. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This is my story. And I believe if you do that, I believe that you will be able to join in what started 2,000 years ago was this description that you and I, as Christ followers, are going to be a part of the advancement of the gospel that's ultimately going to lead to the return of the king. Lord, we love you and thank you for your word. I thank you for this statement about who we will have the privilege of being in our lives, that we will have the privilege of being heralds of the gospel. For some of us in this room, we may have not ever placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. And I pray for each and every person that's here that your voice would be crystal clear in their mind, that you would remind them that you came to seek and to save that which was lost. The, the very reason the Lord Jesus died was so that we did not have to approach death in the same way. Thank you for that message. For those of us who have been blessed to have received that message, whether it was like me as a young boy or whether it's someone even as an adult that's heard this, Lord, that I pray that we would be overwhelmed with a sense of the privilege to be able to testify to what you've done on our behalf, that we we can do nothing like this, the song said, how can I keep from singing? How can I keep from declaring the goodness of the Lord? We love you. We thank you for your word and that you promise us that it will not return void. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please? You are God alone.
from before time began. You were on your throne. You were God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. And you are God alone. Unchangeable. Unchangeable. unshakable, unstoppable God. Thank you for every person that's come today. Bless them, and as we go, Lord, help us to hold on to you, the unchangeable God. In your name we pray. Amen.